Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, my guest on today's podcast is sort of a seasoned media voice in our community, Richie Stedman. Welcome to the podcast, Richie. Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. And I reached out to Richie, and I just felt impressed because um, I don't know his full story to get him on the podcast so that I could learn his story and you could learn his story. He runs a podcast called the Cultural Hall Podcast. Um, it has nearly 700 episodes. I'm not sure there's another podcast um, that has that many ep- episodes in the LDS space. He's been in this space longer than I ha- have been. He's a DJ. He's um, just kind of a um, multi-dimensional, um, non-one-dimensional um Man, he's active LDS. He's in his early 40s. And I just thought it'd be good for Rich B on the podcast and share his story. Um, it might be helpful for younger people that are figuring out they have creative interests and um, how that turns into a career. And I'm sure what you're doing at 42 is different than what you thought you'd be doing when you're when you were 22. And some of that's probably been really cool. And so I'll just, it's kind of like listeners i sort of position these podcasts it's like richie and i we're just went out we're going out to lunch we're bringing you along um richie's used to obviously being on a behind a mic and have headphones on and he's going to share just his story as i get to know my friend better that i don't know too well but i just like to hear his story so is that okay for an introduction richie i i love it you you have overserved an introduction <laughs> it's interesting as you were talking uh you you were you were mentioning like my my 22 year old self did I, did I think that I would be doing what I was doing it it is um it it reminded me when I was in college my freshman year of college I went to Southern Utah University down in Cedar City and um I remember my first semester of college I was like man I'm going to this is communications classes and this is English classes and math classes and I was very much what I sort of felt like doing what I was supposed to be doing. Right. I was like, yeah, we're going to get the, we're going to get a a business degree or, you know, something like that, which is counter to how and who I am. But I felt like, no, this is college. It's time you're serious. High school was the days of, you know, took a lot of theater and choir classes and I was in student government. That was the past, but now we buckled down. And that first semester I did pretty decent as far as grades go, but I remember going, this is terrible. This is not what I want to do at all. And so that second semester of my first year before I went on a mission to Cleveland, Ohio, I, um, I, I took like dance classes and I took a couple of theater classes and, and went, you know, the extreme opposite of what I had done that first semester. And I went, Oh, this is, this feels more at home. This is, this is what I like. These are the things that I enjoy doing. Uh, then served a mission. And when I came back, just realized, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to make a living doing the things that I, that I want being passionate about the things that I'm passionate about. But I knew that I had to at least give it a shot. I had to go for it, whatever it was. Otherwise, I knew that I'd just kind of be miserable like I had been that first semester of college. And and, and reinforced uh, also too, you know, first semester back from my mission, it was all I had made the, the Southern Utah University ballroom dance team and, you know, took all these classes to try and get caught up in everything and reinforced by my parents being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, what are you going to do? 
what are you, what, like, what's your profession? What are you going to grow up? When are you going to, you know, what's the fallback plan if all this doesn't work? And I was like, I don't know, but I'm having a blast doing it. And so to, to say I had a, tra- a trajectory or a plan at all in any part of that would be false, but I knew what I had to be true to. And so I just went for it and, and tried my best and did my best. I like that. You know, we have six kids and some of our kids really fit into the mold of just, they, by the time they get out of high school and early college, they just kind of know what their career is going to be. And it comes really clear for them and it sort of fits cultural expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, And it generally leads to financial stability. But then we have some other kids that are, I don't want to just say our kids on that first and that first description aren't creative. We have some kids that just have I don't, I don't quite know how to describe this. It's describing you, Richie. You just have broad interests um, mm-hmm. that may not lead to just a, a straight line to a steady paycheck for the rest of their life, and, but it's what they love to do. And so as parents, we've tried to kind of step back and give them space, even if it's different from some of our other kids, and, and not cause them to feel they're behind or even some of these things that don't work out, it may help them clarify their future. So... Um, it sounds like you're in that boat a little bit and you're not 22. So I think this is going to be good yeah. for our listeners just to see how the next 20 years w- are working out for you. Yeah. So uh, dropping in on that, I mean, definitely as a parent, like when you see your kids do something and you're like, oh, the path that you are choosing, that is not impossible, but that is going to be harder than if you went straight to lawyer or straight then straight to salesperson or whatever. But you just sort of love and support and go, oh, look, I know that they'll figure it out. Um, when I got back from serving a mission, I uh, enrolled in a radio class, um, kind of at the urging or the the uh, coincidence, the you know divine providence coincidence of being interested in radio. Got into it, decided I loved it, and then that was my first job out of college. I produced a, a radio show in Salt Lake um, for an alternative rock station for about thirteen years. Wow! Uh, yeah, every morning, early morning. Every single morning, very prominent. Uh, it was funny as a as a Latter Day Saint working on a show called Radio from Hell. That was what the show was called, and they called me their fresh faced Mormon. You know that was on the show. So not only was I representing who I was, but also sort of the the faith within the discussion. So you know, very early on in my career, being put in that position where not necessarily um, having to defend the faith, but that I was an example of. Uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, for better and for worse, I guess, in some ways. Um, And then after about 13, 13 and a half years, I started working for uh, BYU, worked for BYU Radio for about three, three and a half years. And then a little over a year ago, decided that, you know what, working for someone else is not what I'm to do in this season and started working for myself. And so that's how I do, as you mentioned, the, uh, the DJs, both wedding and party DJ as well as um, host the cultural hall and, and also teach other people how to uh, podcast to be able to share their message through the spoken words. So it's been it's been quite uh, it's been quite the run, and there are challenges in working for yourself that don't at all exist when you work for someone else, and vice versa. But every month, mortgage and uh, and so you know I, I've got to be doing at least something right. How did you get your first radio job? Interesting. So, uh, I, my senior year of uh, college, 
I decided to put together like a, a forum where I invited professionals from Salt Lake and from Las Vegas because Cedar City is about halfway between both and invited those professionals to come down and kind of speak to all of our radio students. There were about 30 or 40 of us at the time. And one of the people who came down was one of the hosts of the radio show I ended up working for. I said, hey, listen, uh, over Christmas break, I'd love to intern for you guys. I'll, you know, put me to work. I'll, I'll work there for however much, uh, however much time. You don't have to pay me. Let me do whatever just to get in and around you to learn what you guys do. They did. And then that next summer I graduated and then I continued to intern until they offered me a job. That sounds like you broke through the clutter with that strategy. There might've been yeah. um, other people qualified, but it sounds like some of those things you did were tiebreaker things. Well, one of the things that, uh, <laughs> that, that is a, uh, a, a, what a reoccurring life lesson is I, I may not necessarily be the most talented uh, I may not necessarily be the most, you know, like raw gifted or, you know, smartest or any of those things, but I have persistence, Richard, like you wouldn't believe, like I can continue to do a thing when other people would have stopped doing that thing a long time ago that I just keep showing up and going, yeah, okay. I don't get this today, but maybe tomorrow will be the day. I'll see you again tomorrow and on and on and on. I love that. I love, um, I'm a small business owner, listeners. We don't talk about that too much on the podcast, but we don't have a lot of employees, maybe 10, 12. But one of the, we sort of talk about when we're hiring somebody, ability versus motivation. And most of the time, um, the people that we're interviewing do have the ability. So it's often the tiebreaker is the motivation that you can tell that Richie has. And <laughs> that often is the attribute we're looking for, um, assuming that all the candidates are qualified. And often it's, sort of things they do to break through the clutter of other other candidates, just like you're talking. Um, most dra dramatic example, I've never shared this before on the podcast. Um, after I graduated um, from BYU, from graduate work from, with my MBA, I went to work for Pizza Hut in their corporate marketing department in Wichita. And then we would come back and interview graduating MBA students from BYU. And it was a good job. It was a brand marketing job coming out of grad school. Wichita was kind of a mix. Some people love the idea of living in the Midwest and some didn't. But there were probably about 20 people on the interview schedule and a couple of us came back and there was one candidate that decided to break through the clutter in the most dramatic way I've ever seen possible. He went to work for Pizza Hut delivering pizzas all semester. And oh, when, wow. we, when we showed up and interviewed the 20 candidates, he knew everything about our marketing plans, how they were working on the front line, um, the type of crust we were marketing. And it was just a no-brainer on who we were going to hire. Because um, most of those um, candidates had um, were qualified for the job. But you could just tell something about this candidate's ability to sort of think outside the dots, which I sense is how you're wired, Richie, <laughs> that um, really drew us to this candidate. And, this candidate was hired. Um, talk about, here's a question. Um, sometimes um, things didn't go your way, I assume, and there's some setbacks you've had. And at the time, that may have felt like, well, that just was a waste of time. Or over time, is there any of those experiences that actually helped clarify where you needed to go and what you needed to do? And in hindsight, any of those setbacks actually, in the long view, weren't setbacks, but actually helpful um, 
pieces of the puzzle to help you know where you needed to go career-wise? Because a lot of us have setbacks and then we just feel bad. <laughs> sure, Any thoughts sure. on that or anywhere you want to go with this discussion, Richie? Yeah, interesting. So uh, I, I kind of had two things that came to mind. And the first one is spiritual. Um, you may not know, we may not have talked about it, um, but the fact that for the majority of my 20s, I was an excommunicated member of the church. I did not I know had, that. I had been a member, had served a mission. Shortly after returning from my mission, I found uh, myself in a position to be excommunicated from the church. And until I was 30, uh, was not rebaptized. So for about eight and a half, almost nine years, um, was excommunicated. And it was devastating. If you can imagine in the first year being home from a mission, really feeling the the zeal of... Um, you know, a mission work of of being able to serve in Cleveland, which for people who don't know, incorporates Kirtland and also incorporates Hiram, many uh, miracles and 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 godly manifestations within the church occurred in the places where I would knock doors and meet people and worship and um and you know come coming home and then and I'm not blaming it on anyone, but because of the choices that I made. Uh, found myself to be excommunicated. It was a thing that I was like, oh, well, the world is kind of over as far as this. Or why in the world is this happening to me? Um, you know, knowing that other people had done what I had deemed to be far worse and were not excommunicated, you know, why in particular was this um, my punishment or or was this the the consequence that I, you know, that God felt I needed to endure. And uh, it was bad. It was real bad. Super angry for a hot minute. Uh, there are still times when I think about it that I just go, yeah, I don't know. Like I support the church. I support, you know, um, you know, inspiration and, and the priesthood organization, you know, all the things. But I, but I do sometimes go, yeah, did we maybe miss the point? All that aside, after, um, coming back to the church, being rebaptized, being able to go back to the temple and, and uh, be reinstated as far as that goes. Um, I, it, it's sort of twofold. Um, the, the things that I learned from that one is um, uh, kind of like being a member of the church, um, you know, baptized, having made those covenants and, and feeling uh, in a way in, in that relationship with God mattered to me. And when I had broken those covenants and, and wasn't constrained to those covenants, it, it wasn't like I couldn't, um, it wasn't like I couldn't feel the witness of the, you know, the Holy Ghost, or I just walked around with an emptiness of, you know, there wasn't, I mean, there were certainly times like that, but I think sometimes we over-dramatize, you know, what that might feel like. But I definitely did feel like there was something um, that was missing and that I hadn't lived up to the, to, um, you know, the ability to the, to kind of the standard that I hold myself to that, that was part of it. Um, and, and also I just feel like, uh, like it allowed me to then, um, be sensitive to anyone whom I might encounter in the rest of my life, 
So let me explain that about a little bit. Looking back, having had that experience being in the church and then without the church, uh, it, it gave me a tremendous amount of empathy for people who also found themselves in church discipline for whatever reason, but also people who um, were struggling or if, you know, have you know expressed to me, hey, I don't feel like God wants me at church because of A, B, C, or D. Um, you know, I, I can stand from a place of being like, oh, no, I get that. I felt that. I know what you're saying when you when you express that. It's hard, huh? Feels bad, huh? And um and and even just to um to be accepting in general to everyone, there is something uniquely um beneficial is the word that comes to my mind, but that's not the word I want to use, but uniquely beneficial to the fact of being both uh excommunicated and reinstated that at the time, you know, that I'm in the high council room and the stake president says, you're excommunicated and, you know, you'll go home tonight and tomorrow take off your garments. And it was this just gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching uh, experience. You know, I'm able to look back at it as an opportunity for growth, for um, lessons learned that I don't, I genuinely don't think I could have learned any other way. But all to say, I don't recommend, I'm not urging people to go out and get excommunicated to try it out and then come back. And won't you love the journey? I don't recommend that in the slightest. But but for me, it definitely has been something that I look back and go, oh, okay. I see that. I see, I see some lessons learned. I see some things that I've gained because of that. Brave to share that, Richie. You've probably shared that at times, I assume, because um, mm-hmm. you're a pretty upfront, open guy. But I, if I knew that about you, I'd forgotten it about it. Um, but I love that you talked about that. And um, it sounds like um, the road to come, it sounds like you all, you know, there was sin involved. Um, mm-hmm. But it sounds like the, there was complexity with um, if you felt this was the right decision and maybe some anger um, and pain that was generated. That, And so the way back, you know, was time related to just overcome the sin, but it was also that I think you're a stand-up guy and probably took responsibility for, but there's this other part of what happened that just felt painful and sort of um, inconsistent and maybe singled out. And I think you kind of referenced maybe you were of other stories that were handled differently and some call that Bishop Roulette or Stake President Roulette and just the differences, but it sounds like you're a stand-up guy and just recognize this reality of your situation, which was, which made it harder to come back. Cause, um, you know, you, cause you had to deal with sort of both of these, um, mm-hmm. talk, mm-hmm. talk about your journey back. Cause there's probably people that want to come back and have a testimony of the church, but there's pain involved in sort of the experience of leaving, or if there's been a disciplinary council, they haven't felt quite settled with some feel really good about it. Sure. Um, and some, don't and there's some pain involved there talk talk about that yeah so i i think that i mean this nicely butts up to what we were talking about before just persistence like i knew where i wanted to be i wanted to be a um a, a fully active you know a temple recommend holding member of the church of jesus christ of latter day saints but that wasn't who i was but you know what i wasn't going to give up uh I, so so it was um, you know, 
it was going to church every week, even though I couldn't pray, even though I couldn't bear testimony, even though I couldn't speak all these things that I naturally am inclined to do. I was a silent participant. Um, and that was difficult. So I, I think the, the, the road back, um, I mean, here, here's the thing. Cause now, as I look at this, you know, this is nearly a dozen years ago, even from being reinstated and I think those that, um, I mean, we think about this with relationships with other people, but in any sort of scenario, if you're waiting to to have it be uh, completely healed, I don't know that I am, even today. There, there are times where I think, you know, gosh dang it, that really wasn't that fair. And that impacted, you know, how I dated and who I dated and, 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 it, you know, all of these things. And, and, you know, the church isn't coming back to me now and saying, Hey, sorry about that. Or, you know what, this is what it was supposed to be. So there's, there is still sometimes, um, there are still sometimes where I get kind of swept up in that, but there is, um, there is power in being able to, for me to be able to take steps toward that, toward, you know, being reinstated and obviously am now there, there was um, value in me being able to go back to the temple after a, a decade and being able to, to worship there. And those things have helped with some of the hurt. It has helped with some of the understanding that maybe I didn't have. It has helped with some of the reflection that I needed to gain that if I wouldn't have been taking at least those steps to get to that point, I may not be where I'm at now. And, you know, so long as I keep going, I I feel like eventually knock on wood, I'll get to where I go. Okay. I get it. I get all of it. I understand all of it. This makes sense. Why all of this had to occur. This you know, I am quote healed uh, from the, the from the whole incident, but it's but it's not easy. I mean, any any time your heart is broken, whether it be from an organization, uh, uh, another individual, uh, leadership, anything like it 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 takes a lot. It takes a lot to trust again. It takes a lot to love again. To be open completely to it, and you know, when you step on things near that. It can it can be pretty hard pretty quick to be like, wait, why am I doing this? Oh yeah, no, got to go back to the foundations of what I believe in. Let's just keep going. It's going to figure its way out. Did you ever lose your belief in the church during this time when you were excommunicated? This nasty word that sure, but it's what it was. It's what what it was. You were excommunicated, Uh, so I don't want to minimize that by saying it's membership withdrawn. I think, but. Sure. Um, talk about as an excommunicated member. Um, did you lose? You know, did you still maintain a belief in the church or restored doctrine that whole time, yeah, or did yeah, that come? Yeah, and go? without yeah, without question. Hmm. There, you know, sometimes I I I wondered. Um, like I think, you know, and I've talked about this before, but you, it, it it's sort of this tricky, this sticky situation because um, when you're excommunicated, I'm not sure if it works with when membership is withdrawn, but you you essentially meet before the 15, uh, you know, the stake presidency and then the high counselors and you recount everything that you did and they're able to ask questions and then they sort of uh, deliver an edict. And then um, whatever that decision is, you can appeal it 
But in my senses, I was like, well, it, you know, the idea of appealing um, this thing that seems counter to like being faithful and believing this thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, I can appeal that I don't think that you guys are inspired by, you know, by heaven. Is that what I'm going to do right now and think that you guys will get a different solution? So that was, if there was ever a question, it was, it was just a, a question of like, did, were, were they doing this um, genuinely because they were led by the spirit to do it? Or was that, was it something else? And that's maybe the only thing I've ever struggled with. But it's allowed me the opportunity to be more compassionate to people who have made mistakes and go, all right, you are a great son or daughter of God who did a really dumb thing, but you are not a dumb person. And sometimes I feel like maybe I was just treated like a dumb person. Interesting. Talk to those that feel, you know, that have separated themselves from the church for any reason. In your case, it, you know, you were excommunicated because of a, you know, Sin. I'm just putting an umbrella sin, but sure. it, but it also was this really painful experience. Talk to those that have a testimony of the church and have separated themselves from the church, and there's a lot of pain, and they've sort of got to, they don't, there's, and so they get sort of triggered when they start to think of coming back to church because they kind of got to walk back into the pain, and maybe even seeing the same building brings PTSD. They're small or capital PTSD, and Mm-hmm. Um, talk to those that just, cause you've been walking this road, Richie, that, you know, actually want to figure out a way to get back, but can't get through the pain and the re-triggering and the anger. And it sort of brings up all the wounds that they've tried to move down from. Sure. And I think you I mean, said something really interesting. I'm not at the finish line on this. You actually yeah. said, this is, I'm, I, so that was interesting to me, but go ahead and answer that question or anything so, you want to talk about. Yeah. So I, so I, you know, um, as I think about um, that, I, uh, my view on this has changed quite a bit because you're hearing me beat the drum of persistence, right? And it seems to be that persistence would be that, no, if it hurts, you still go to church because you'll figure it out. That would be maybe my, that would be maybe my twenties, Richie. But I, I th- and I hope this doesn't get us in trouble. I, I think that there is tremendous amount of value in if you feel like you need to take a, a moment and and step away. And I'll define what I mean by step away, but like if you need to take a moment, clear your head and step away, I think I think that's okay. And and I think there's more strength in in doing that. And here's so here's what I mean. Like by step away, I don't mean it's like rum springer and you're like, I can drink and I can, you know, all the things that we sort of assign to people stepping away. But but I don't think it's a stepping away. And it's important to note you said someone who believes in the doctrine, the core of the church, but for whatever reason is hurt, is triggered, has PTSD, has trauma based on their experience. And I and I think the thing is, and this is why I think it's so hard. I mean, it has to, you have to hurt almost to get through it. Like you have to talk about it. You have to heal through it. And, and, and sometimes, you know, figuring your way through it isn't easy. 
And I think as natural as as human beings, we go, oh, the easy thing, I'll take that, whatever that easy thing is. And I'm not assigning like laziness or anything like that. I think it's genuinely one of the most difficult things to truly heal from a trauma, to truly find your way, you know, to forgiveness, to whatever that thing may be. But if you hold true to the fact that you that you know or you believe you have belief that the 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 true the church's doctrine is what you adhere to, then there's the disparity of where you are as a broken, hurt person and the truthfulness. And I and maybe that's maybe that's the trial. Mental health professionals can help walk alongside that. Um, Jesus Christ, who is our healer, can help you through some of that. And 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 I think that oftentimes that just takes a lot of work. And, and I, you know, I am one who does not like pain altogether that much. I am guilty of sometimes going, ooh, there's that or there's this. I'm going to go ahead and pick that easier thing because that feels easier. But I think the the real worth of things is being able to work through things rather than avoid them. It's a really thoughtful answer, Richie. Um, I'm moved by that. It's really thoughtful. And um, I like you give permission to people to step away. I think that can be part of the path to healing. And you may need to take a break. And I think we need to honor everybody's individual stories. And um, I think we need to honor church-generated pain. If if the pain you felt or the pain any of our listeners felt is not coming from the church, it's there's a lot of examples of pain out in the world that's not sin-related mm-hmm. that comes into our lives. Um, and often then we can tur- turn to our church community to find healing as they understand that kind of pain, a job loss. I mean, we could spend the rest of the podcast talking about different types of things, a car accident that affects someone um, in a loss of life or permanently, or even a car accident we caused where we've caused injury to somebody who has no intent, but we have know we've harmed somebody and we feel pain. And we can turn to our church community and we can open up, you know, with our members and and help heal ourselves um, with the body of Christ. But if the pain comes from that source, it gets more complex. Sure. Because, and some, I think about this a lot, listeners, and I thought of it, and I like analogies, and I thought, our, I thought of the gospel of Jesus Christ as this pure doctrine that doesn't generate pain. It just generates healing and hope. And I liken that to um, the water in a swimming pool. It's just perfect, pure water. But that water, to be effective in our lives, needs a structure around it. And that represents, in my mind, the institutional church. Mm. And then the edge of the pool is this porcelain. And as we lean against the edge of the pool underwater, you know, part of that's underwater, we lean our back. Most of us feel the porcelain is smooth. But once in a while, somebody's going to get a real jagged edge because the porcelain's Mm. not perfect. And we all sitting around the pool may not experience that jagged edge or even see the jagged edge and how it's just impaling your back, Richie, in an experience like this. So that's kind of a visual imagery I use, listeners. And even if I don't feel any of those jags or see anything, but in my lived experience, but perfect porcelain, I need to honor other people's experience because I think one of the first ways to help people heal is acknowledge the experience that Richie had and say, wow. You know, instead of sort of saying, hey, Richie, you're overthinking that or they're inspired and 
<laughs> there would never be anything done, but just what was done in your best interest is to say, Richie, that's, that's pretty painful. I'm really sorry. And any more thoughts on that? Do you want to go in a different direction? I just, uh, I was just going to make a joke. I, we're about I was halfway make a joke through and I want to get everything you want to say out. The, uh, the most common response when I tell any part of that is people want to go, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's which probably I, true. Which, which also doesn't help with the healing process. <laughs> I just think that that's a funny, natural tendency. And I don't know if it's people are like, I need to know what he did so that I don't do it. Or if it's just that curiosity that sort of, you know, absorbs us. The other thing that I thought about um, good, with that. I'm glad kind of you digging, brought that up. I mean, that thought came through my mind. I knew enough not to ask you that question. Sure. I mean, I'd tell you, that's the thing. I have spoken (laughs) about it with enough people that at this point... um, But I do think we shouldn't even... I agree with you. You know, let's just talk about how we can, you know, help you versus try to understand the backstory. If you want to open up to a few trusted friends, and it sounds like you have, but I think think our, our job is to sort of support you versus try to understand what happened. And to the point of what you said, like, um, so you just said a couple of things. One, you said about how you can help me, you know, like that, that is powerful. But what you said prior was more powerful. And I don't know that there have been a whole ton of people that have told me that, which is, that sounds hard, Richie. That sounds like that would be a painful time. In fact, as I sit and think about this, I can think of maybe one or two other people who have just validated it and said, that's hard. There have been a lot of people who have said, let's get you back. We want to help you. What can we do? You know, a lot of people who said, what'd you do? Would you do it again? Did you still go to church in the time that, you know, all of those things. But, but, you know, for, for, uh, for a church that's founded, you know, some of its principles are founded in mourning with those that mourn and comfort those that need and com- of comfort. We really are terrible at that. In, in, in a lot of ways. And I think that we could do a lot better. I think that there are probably some that are good, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that like a good long look at ourselves about how we could comfort more those that need comfort and mourn with those who mourn, that would be good. The other thing I was going to say, and before I forget, um, the stepping away thing, I think of it, you, I mean, you liked analogies. This is a little gross. Sorry if anyone's eating. Press pause, come back to this. You're not going <laughs> to want to listen to this part while you're eating. Um but if you've ever scraped yourself real deep and then you get the scab and then you pick the scab because you're like, and then it, you know, it starts all over again. Sometimes I think that, uh, you know, people within the church or reactions to things within the church, any one of those things can be like we're picking the scab and then healing begins all over again. And if we just allow the, mm. the, the, the process to heal, you know, being aware of what we need for it to heal, the balm, if you will, to be able to get it to heal so that we're not, you know, just forgetting that we have a scab on our arm. That's not what I'm saying, but allowing it to heal to a point that we could come back without it, you know, continuing to hurt or damage or, you know, cause f- further harm to ourselves. I think that's, that, a that's powerful sort of the analogy, analogy that pops up to my head. That's a great one. So I think what you're saying is for some people, the scab needs to fully heal. Um, yeah. separate from church attendance because that sort of has the potential to reopen the scab or will reopen the scab just walking through the door. Well, and I don't know if you've ever done this or not. Uh, I'm sure you haven't. You are a better person than I am. <laughs> but if you've ever had a scab and you pick it and then you pick it and then you pick oh, it and, ask you my pick wife. It and then you pick it. Yeah. There's one of us in our marriage that might be me that is scab picker and one that yeah. isn't. <laughs> 
And, and what happens? <laughs> you have a scar. You have, have a scar afterwards. And I think that there's there there's a beautiful and 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 kind of sad um, comparison to when mm. we you know with our interactions with the church that those scars can be permanent. And I, I don't think that's how God would intend it. Um, back to your point about just sitting with people in their pain. That's taken some work for me to do that because I thought. Listeners, if like Richie opens up about a painful church experience, my earlier self would have defended the church. Um, mm-hmm. And my earlier self would have been ner- nervous if I had sort of validated Richie's experience that it would have driven any wedge between him and the church deeper. And I recognize now neither of those are true. I can strengthen the church by honoring people's pain that's even church generated. It helps them to get over the pain. And it usually is doesn't drive the wedge any deeper. It's actually helpful to them to move forward, especially if their goal is to stay engaged with the church, just to have that. No one has, should have to prove their pain. No one should have to sort of open up. And then I go, Richie, come on. You know, yeah. I mean, I've heard four guys that went through the same thing and none of them had the experience you have. So you're overthinking this. You're too sensitive. You're, And you have to prove your pain and no one should have to prove their pain. We should just accept it. Because of what you said, we bear, mourn, and comfort as part of our baptism covenants. Yeah. And maybe it's just back to the porcelain swimming pool. There's just things that we don't understand underneath the water line that we will never feel or experience that other people experience. And it's their reality. We need to honor that. Yeah. Um, keep talking. More things on your mind. You can stay on this subject. You can talk about how you started the podcast. Oh, you can talk okay. about anything you want to talk about. <laughs> Uh, we can, t- we can spend a moment on, uh, the cultural hall just celebrated 12 years, uh, almost 12 700 years. episodes. Yeah. So I know of no pod, just take us back 12 years ago. Why you decided to start a podcast Were podcasts even possible 12 years ago? It's kind of oh, like, Oh yeah. Podcasts. And were there any church been around podcasts? Since, ni- since 1999 was the first podcast, wow. but that was just a guy putting audio up on the, uh, on the internet because he wanted to see if he could. And he's an eccentric character. We digress. About 12 years ago, 13 years ago, I had a friend who um, he had started podcasting and and what he wanted to talk about was things like comic books and geek movies and all these things. And I was like, that's cool. So what he does is he gets together with friends and he talks about the things that he's passionate about. I want to do that, but I think that a podcast for me about those particular things would be terrible. So what do I want to talk about? And, uh, and I thought, okay, well, you know, I really like, I really like, uh, church stuff. I like church history. I like sort of the nuances of our church culture, both better and worse. Uh, I like church celebrities. My wife, who's not a member of the church, will often tease me uh, about a program that we're watching or a song that we're listening to or a YouTube video that we watch. And she'll stop and she'll say, are we watching this because this person is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And I'll say, yes. And she'll say, I knew it. Why else would we be watching that? I just have a particular... you know, curiosity, fascination with things around the church. So I decided, uh, you know, that what I wanted to do was uh, a podcast call uh, or a podcast about Mormon stuff back when we could say Mormon stuff. And um, so, so then I was like, well, what am I going to call it? Right. I was like, is it, you know, green jello and carrots? I'm like, that's, you know, whatever. And, and like a light from the sky, 
um, it was, you, you call it the cultural hall. Of course you do, because it's, I'm not, I'm not your Sunday school, come follow me lesson. That's not what I want to do, but I am inside the church. I am where people come to learn and grow and love and fellowship and community and all these things. It's the cultural hall. That's what we do. And so we call it that. So then I looked up the domain and it was already taken and I was heartbroken because as you know, being a business owner or working in business at all, I think one of the hardest things is naming a product, a business, uh, anything. And I was like, no, that's it. That's the name. It needs to be that. So I appealed to the owner of the website wow. and he said, no, absolutely not. You, I'm not selling this to you. Forget it. And so the idea was put in the back of my head. And then about six months later, I reached out to the owner and I said, please, will you let me buy this? And he said, no. And again, this persistence thing, Richard, uh, about you know probably nine months after that second uh, interaction, I reached out and I said, hey, come on. You're not doing anything with this website. Here's what I intend to do with this website. I would love to do this. Will you sell this to me? And he did. And so then I was like, well, okay, now I've got the website. And then I just sat on it. And uh, the joke that I always make is the one good thing that came from my first marriage is that she said, listen, you've been talking a lot about this podcast thing. Either do it or shut up about it. And so at that urging that sweet urging, I decided to start doing it. And so that's how the cultural hall started. Um, two interesting things about it. One, uh, it was originally started because I really wanted to, um, I wanted to meet Peter Breinholt, which I'm not sure if he's been on uh, your podcast before. He, he he's is. great. If people don't know him, his music is phenomenal. One of a kind voice and a, a, a sweeter person in the world you could not ever talk to he's just about the sweetest person salt of the earth guy and uh and so i was like yeah i'd, I'd love to one day meet him i met him on like episode six and so i was like okay well now what so that's one thing uh the second thing that's sort of interesting is the person who owned the cultural hall.com was uh john delin of wow. mormon stories wow and so that was when he was, in fact, he's, I think, at episode number four, he was at the time an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So it's a, it's a long history uh, of being able to get going. Um, after I interviewed Peter Breinholt, I was like, well, I've sort of done what this podcast is about. So now what do I do? And it was at that time and some reflection from people that they were like, this is so much more than just talking to air quotes, famous Mormon people. This is a community where I can share questions and concerns and I can learn about odd things in church history and quirky cultural things. And so we've really, in the then now uh, 700 episodes, really just tried to take wherever the wind blows and, and, and share love and create a community and, and have discussions about things that... One of the greatest compliments that... Uh, <laughs> that I can get from people is when they go, I saw what the episode was about and it sounded terrible. And then I listened to it and you, it was, it was interesting or you brought this subject to life or I was riveted because of the way that this discussion occurred or, or something where I can take someone's, um, you know, kind of thought process about something and completely change it. To me, that's the power in what the cultural hall is today. 
I love hearing that story, and I love the domain name and the backstory there. And <laughs> talk about tw- twelve years ago. Were there any other LDS podcasts? I mean, so Mormon Stories, hosted by John Dillon, has been around a good long time. Uh, this Week in Mormons, which still exists now, but has recently kind of gone through an ownership change. It was around. It started about six months before we did. Um, but there have been a lot that have come and a lot that have gone in the in the 12 years. Um, but yeah, there are a few of us OGs that are still around. Talk about... Um... You probably, I get some requests, um, how to start a podcast and is there, I try to give encouragement to people. There probably is more space in, in the LDS circle to have a podcast. What, um, what is your advice for people that say, you know, Richie, I feel impressed to start a podcast. Do you feel there's so many LDS themed podcasts right now that there's, you would be discouraging them or would you be encouraging them or? What advice well, would you give them, not from a technical perspective, because you could obviously answer that too, sure. but just from a like, is there, from your marketing perspective, how would you um, go about figuring out if there's a room, there's space to start a new podcast? Yeah. So the, I mean, short answer is yes, there always is because, you know, uh, what uh, Listen, Learn, Love has that no other podcast has, is has you, has Richard Osler, right? The way you think, the way that you breathe, the way that you interact, all the things, the way that you interview, those are all uniquely you. And I may choose to talk to the very same people. In fact, we often do. We yeah. have crossover of the same individuals. And I will, I will not listen to your interview first, um, but I will do mine and then listen to yours with that same individual. And I'll be like, it is fascinating to me how we can meet with the same person and even in some ways get the same air quotes story, but it is not the same interview at all. So yes, is the short answer to that. Um, I, th- I think, uh, I think when I, so I podcast consult a lot of people. In fact, some people um, within the uh, LDS space, if you ever listen to, uh, ask Dr. Julie Hanks. She's one of my clients. Or if you've ever listened to Tribe of Testimonies, um, that's another one that that I helped out. Um, the, I mean, those are unique and and uh, individual properties that I, I think speak really well to to our space. All said, the question that I ask people very first um, before they are going to step into um, the podcast world, and I think that this really applies to anything, is why are you doing this? So people will be like, I'm doing this because, uh, you know, we could walk something out. I I feel like God called me to do this. Okay. What do you, what do you, why do you think God called you to do this? Well, because I have a unique perspective because my mom wasn't a member of the church and my dad is an active member. And if you just continue to ask those why questions, I think really knowing why you are doing a thing and really, um, Attaching yourself to the why of doing that can be tremendously powerful. And, and it doesn't just have to be podcasting, but I think it really applies. Meaning, like if you are doing a podcast because you want to have a million followers and you, um, you, know, you want to retire in Cabo San Lucas by the time you're 40, the, the, the type of podcast that you would need to make would probably not be um, like 
you know, fringe breakoffs from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? So there, there's something that's in misalignment as far as that goes. I'm probably getting a little tangential, but knowing the why of why you do something can be tremendously powerful. And when you don't feel like doing it anymore, maybe you've already met the why that you were supposed to do that thing for. Um, or maybe it just isn't, this isn't, this isn't how your why is supposed to be accomplished. Did any of that yeah, make sense? It did. I, I love the way you just ask questions on why someone wants to do it. Um, do you take on clients? It sounds like you do. So you, I mean, if somebody wants to start a podcast and they don't know the technical side of it and they um, want to hire you to sort of, you know, do everything they don't understand, mm-hmm. um, do you do that? Yeah. Absolutely. And I would tell people to, uh, you can find me uh, on any social media at Richie T. Stedman, R-I-C-H-I-E-T as in tough guys. So watch out Stedman, <laughs> S-T-E-A-D-M-A-N. And just, you can direct message me or it's Richie T. Stedman at gmail.com. And there's people always coming. Some people will go, they just need help till, till they launch. Other people, I continually help along the way. Uh, we, I have a you know, I'm sort of a one-man show, but I do have a podcast, a guy that does the technical side. One day, five years ago, I tweeted out who can help me launch my podcast. And mm-hmm. this um, college student at the time has been my back-end guy. And I just sent him a Dropbox links and he posts them on SoundCloud and they feed out. And so um, I, I'm not a solo guy. I do have somebody helping me, but I didn't, I still don't understand the back end of it, Richie. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I've learned to talk to people on a Zoom link and um, start my audition program and sort of know how to do that. Sure. Um, but it a lot of people don't. Point. But I love that I, you could just do whatever uh, somebody doesn't know how to do or want to do. And then you can be that back end or a consultant or it sounds like you're pretty adaptable to what a potential podcast guy needs. Yeah. And I, what I was just going to reinforce with what you're saying though, like if you truly feel like God called you, like it is your calling. And we don't use that, that phraseology in this respect within the LDS church that much, but like God is calling you, this is what you are called to do. Don't let that you don't understand the technical thing be the thing that keeps you from fulfilling what God is asking you to do. We live in a day and in an age where if you have the patience, this is where I falter, to go to YouTube and say, how do I put a podcast online? It can be there. Or like there are these websites, people like me, people that you'll, you never will ever meet because they live in another country that because of the way that we're connected, it can be um, it can be affordable, doable for you to be able to put that message out. So if you really feel compelled, you need to do it. If it's God calling and you're like, "Man, I'll figure it out. I don't want to," you know, I, I think that that's you know we we hear the calling and then we act upon the calling, and and those things can be empowered. But the, I, to me, that's just a thing where I think we're prone to make excuses about stuff and and there and there's just no need. It's not that hard and there are plenty of other people who can you know be able to walk alongside you, help you out and that may just be like a YouTube link or a LinkedIn course or something like that. We've never talked about that subject on the podcast about yeah. how to put podcasts <laughs> together and you're kind of the veteran in our in our faith. Um I really mean that seriously, Richie, you've um are you know really the original guy in this space 
um, that's still in the space with so many episodes and with a lot of momentum. You've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, and you've had probably hundreds and thousands of conversations with people. And I love the cultural hall visual imagery every year in the church, but we're not in the Sunday school class. I think that's terrific. So you're having these kind of conversations where you're a safe place. And what have you learned? I mean, because if you just stayed in the Sunday school room, that's a great room. You learn a lot about, I don't want to say the Sunday school room is not a good room is what I'm saying. But since you're in the cultural hall and you're kind of having maybe more vulnerable, unscripted um, conversations, you've been doing this for 12 years. Just talk about, be a voice for the people in the cultural hall or what you've learned from people on, I don't want to say they're in the margins because they're in the cultural hall, but just the wide swath of Latter-day Saints stories you've heard. Yeah, geez. Encompass. So your question rephrased. Encompass the last twelve years in a couple sentences. <laughs> yeah, we've got like um, five, ten minutes left. <laughs> uh, it has been um, a unique privilege that I ha- have felt really honored to be able to do to be able to um, to hear people's stories and you know put a different way. Sometimes people will say, "Well, what's your favorite episode?" You know, is there someone that you've talked to that really you know, changed your mind about something or, you know, opened you up or whatever. And I always joke and, and people do this with their kids. That was the last episode was my, you know, was my favorite one. The last one I recorded, that's the best one I've ever done. My favorite. Um, but I, 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 the thing that strikes me, um, is the, the power for me, um, is that anyone can be a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, anyone can be a member of the church. And if you think, oh, but there's no one that's like me that this, I've met another person that's like that. Oh, but no one has had the things, and and sure, I'm not downplaying um, that there are unique experiences, but there are very adjacent experiences that these people have had. And I think that there there is just... Um, there is a a place for everyone, or at least in in my church, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I don't mean my specific ward or building, but in the church that I believe in, I, I, I truly feel like everyone can be comfortable there. And that's the thing that's reinforced to me. Um, when you talk about the imagery of the cultural hall, I just, the, the thing that I like about, about that is you know, the cultural hall is a safe place for people to be able to be like, yeah, I'm all in on temples, but uh, tithing, jeez, oh, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Doesn't the church have enough money? And we can talk about it. And there's not any sort of judgment. And that person will still come to church on the next Sunday and, and be there. Or they won't because they're going to take a break. Like it, it's, not, it's not so prescriptive. It's not so checkboxy. It's, it's the space where people can go, yeah, you know, this was a really great lesson. But also, I, I'm, I, I don't want to teach the youth. I don't want to go on a pioneer track. I don't want to. Why do we even do that? We did it. The pioneers would look at us and say, why are we doing this thing? We did it. You don't need to recreate it. It was great when we did it. Move on. You know, whatever the thing is. And it's not just doubts. It's the things that people are genuinely, you know, trying to, to, you know, be comforted by other people, mourn with other people. Here are the empath, empathic, that's the right way to say that, um, you know, words of other people. It's just, it's just a way for people to go, 
here is who and what I am, and I love you for who and what you are. We're there. I love that. I love your vision of the church um, and that everybody's welcome. I believe that. I think it's part of Zion and part of gathering Israel and creating safe places in our church to talk about the things in our heart without judgment. And um, it's hard to do that sometimes in Sunday school. <laughs> Not being yeah. critical of Sunday school, but um, there's usually a curriculum to get through. And um, we often provide scholarly answers to the questions and the, the vulnerability often and the place to ask honest questions is sometimes for some members that's they need that some don't um, but i love that you have a safe place to do that and the listeners can hear other people so they're not walking alone they don't feel they're the only one i love your own experience richie and how um, even though that was painful for you that how that was handled you talk about how that changed you in a way that made you more empathetic and more kind and more compassionate. And I don't know what to make of that. I don't think, I don't want to like reverse engineer this and say, this is always God's plan for you to have a difficult experience. Um, So I'm not comfortable saying that listeners, but I do think part of mortality is we have unjust things that happen to us and they're unfair and they're sort of unexplainable except in a fallen mortal world. But then sometimes our agency kicks in and we go, it's sort of instead of what if, it's what now. Um, Somebody that was a survivor of sexual assault taught me that line. He just had to go, he had to get past the what if, and he got to the what now. And And I love that you've done that and sort of said, this is, this whole experience, still unjust and unfair and makes me angry sometimes has made me more compassionate, more willing to hear people and more sensitive to people in the margins. And uh, maybe that's a good thing. I don't want to say that's why it happened, <laughs> but I think it's a credit to you and the experience. And I and you were out of the church for a period of time. And I don't look at that as this chap, these 10 years of your life that need to be wiped away, but there are 10 years of your life that's very present for you and very important for you. And you've used those in a way that now the rest of your life is possible. Any thoughts on that and just any concluding thoughts? Uh, I, or a whole it, different subject if you yeah, want to go no, in a different I, direction. I, I just think about it and, and I, um, you know, some of the way, the way that you've reflected it back to me has been super helpful in ways that, you know, like I say, I haven't heard, you know, all too often or maybe ever at all. Um, I I really like... I, I like the idea of, you know, what now or, you know, what is kind of common right now is what's the, what's the next right thing like this happened, but what's the next mm. right, right thing that, you know, that I can do or, you know, um, this will seem super pretentious, but I love this. So get ready. There is something that, uh, that I really love to say, and it's almost like a personal mantra um, people have quoted me before, Richard. So get ready as I stretch out and get ready. But but I genuinely believe this. The, the only thing that we can be perfect in this life is never giving up. And for me, that that just is is the most powerful thing. That is an agency, that is a choice, that is a a right, a gift of what all the things. Um but but you know, we can make the choice to never give up. Oh, this sucks. This is hard. Yep. And I hope tomorrow doesn't suck <laughs> it's so hard. I hope that's not as bad. I hope this gets easier. 
but I, you know, I get the choice to whether I give up or not. And I just think, I think God's just saying, Hey, don't give up. And I'm saying, yep, I'm not, I'm not going to. I love that, Richie. It's a sign of your character. This is a tender question. You know, I assume you flew home from Cleveland. Did you? Mm-hmm. Um, that was, you know, 20 plus years ago. Your life, like most of us that flew home from a mission, our lives are different than we thought they'd be, perhaps on that plane ride home. You've, you know, you've mm-hmm. mentioned you've had a divorce. You've mentioned you've, you know, been excommunicated and come back. And I'm sure those, those possibilities were not in your mind on the flight home from Cleveland. And in some ways you could feel my life didn't turn out the way it did. And, but I sense you are really pleased where your life is and you don't look back at the last 20 years and with, with a negative feeling. But I guess my question is, I mean, what would you say to your 20, what would you say to your knowing your life now? What would you say to your, if you were sitting next to your Richie Stedman on that flight home in Cleveland, what would you say? <laughs> Uh, with the long view of your life, you know? Yeah. Up to this point, I'd say buckle up my friend. (laughs) But, uh, I, I think, um, you know, going back to one of the first things that I said, you know, you ask, you know, share your story and I'm like, geez, am I dying? Is this, (laughs) am I doing this podcast and then I'm going to die? Is this where I share the end of my story? Are we over? And, and the thing that that I love is that you're right. I I mean, I had a very uh, kind of different view of of what life would be like, and and it's not for better or worse. It's just different. I remember being very frustrated first coming home and being like, "Why I worked hard on my mission? Why isn't God helping me find a wife? Why am I not right? Really, genuinely, these were the thoughts and expressions I had." And after six months, I'm just like, fine, God doesn't want me to be married. And that sounds so ridiculous to say out loud because I'm 21 and a half and I'm like, God's given up on me. And I didn't get married till I was 30. Um, but but just being open to, you know, what whatever it is. I'm in this unique place now where I work for myself in this way, doing the DJ stuff. I know that this won't always be what I'm doing. There's sort of a, a time limit for the doing DJ stuff that I just don't want to do it for forever. But if you would have told, you know, 21 year old me that here in an afternoon, I'd be sitting with Richard Osler and I just barely got dressed for the day <laughs> moments <laughs> before we hopped on. I don't know that I would have believed you. And there's some great things about that and some hard things about that. But I just am open to what are we doing? Okay, that sounds good. I'm going to go full after that until I'm not going to do that anymore. And so that's that's just kind of the way that 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 I engage with life is just just being open, trying it and then, you know, course changing if it if I need to. Being open to course change. I love that, Richie. I love you being honest and vulnerable and I think a lot of our lives, you know, haven't turned out and we've had difficult things and I think Sometimes we think if we just kind of do all the right things and hit the checklist that life's going to be okay. And sometimes life gets hard and, and you may have, I have regrets of things. You may have regrets, but I think I, I always get this feeling of heavenly father could just talk to us. He would say, you know, 
yeah, some of those things were hard and some of those things you may wish you could have a do-over, but I don't necessarily feel that way. I just look at this as part of your long mortal experience that helps you become the person you are and helps you for the next life. And I don't feel, would want you to feel shame or regret for your life, even if it's turned out different. And hold your head high and look forward and take all these experiences with you, the good and the bad and the difficult. And you're a tremendous example of doing that because of the platform you're doing, the, the safe place you have, the honesty about your story. You're a pretty real guy. <laughs> and I think that's a sign of, you know, your core character. And I would, even though your life's different than it, you thought it would be on that flight home from Cleveland, like all of us, figuratively, I think you, it's a remarkable life you're living, Richie. And it, it- yeah, just to add on, and this is philosophical for the end of a, of a thing that we're doing. I think that God would be like, what do you mean turned out? I never said it, it was going to be this way or that way. That. This was a thing that you put on yourself. What do you mean turned out? This is experiences. This is, you know, I, I'm not sure why you thought it wasn't going to be hard. I never told you it wasn't going to be hard. I don't know what you thought that it would needed to be this thing or this thing or that thing or over here. I I think that he would just be like, "What? What? You're you're you are perfect. Great. Good for you. It'll be hard sometimes and it'll be great and easy sometimes and and I I think a lot of that stuff that we do really is just us putting that on ourselves and being like, "It needs to be this. I should have this. Why am I not that?" And I think God's just like, "You know what?" Is silly. I just love you. I love you for all the things. None of that stuff matters, but I think it's that human tendency to start to put some of that stuff on. I love that. Anything you'd like to share in closing, Richie? Uh, yeah. I mean, I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, Richard, <laughs> and that if if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. That when the time comes home, that you'll be able to travel home in safety. I think that uh, we should bless the sugar out of this crap. All the things. Um, I just, this has been a fun podcast to do, listeners. I think I could go another hour with Richie. He um, has the gift of um, being engaged in entertainment and life. This guy is full of life and goodness and energy. And I just love you're taking all your God-given gifts in a very unique way in our faith community and and uh, being you and owning you and moving and you're young, Richie. You're almost 20 years. You are 20 years younger than me. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, what, what will you be doing at 62? And um, what will the next 20 years bring, given all the things that you are doing right now and all the different spaces you're in? And and I think you'll do This is me kind of speaking to listeners because I don't think Richie needs this advice, but I think you'll do it your way. Yep. I don't think you're going to write a story because of somebody else's story that's sort of parallel to your story. I think you're, going to continue to be what you've been, your own person writing your own story and sort of thinking out the outside the box a little bit on how to do things. And some people are just wired that way. And I think, you know, sometimes that can cause a little angst for us when someone's thinking a little bit out of the box. But I think the old ship Zion is big enough for people that think out the bo- outside the box and are a little unique in how they approach things. And I think Richie, in a wonderful way, is part of that and has done um, so much good for our community. So um, we'll maybe do a podcast in 20 years. I'll be 82. 
Okay. Okay. I'll I be, welcome it. I don't know what it'll be like to be hosting a podcast city too. I may like, I don't know. We'll just, I, you could handle I, it 62. I think, I think it'll be like this. Richard, you need to press the record. Richard, oh. right, have, you pressed, have you pressed the record? Can you even hear me, Richard? R- Richard, are, are we do? Do you know where you are, Richard? Richard, have you hit record? That's what I think that podcast will be like in 20 years. It will be. In fact, you know, speaking of technology, I don't want to guess too sidetracked, but artificial. I remember the first time at work, listeners, you know, I don't know how many years ago where we went on the internet for the first time um, at work and we were on a computer that brought data into that computer from another computer via an internet connection. And I didn't realize at the moment that I was seeing something that would forever change my life and the world. And yesterday, our son, we were creating visuals. He's a designer and he subscribes to an artificial intelligence platform. And, um, in a search engine, he just put in like old ship or ship steering wheel. Um, and it created, and you listeners probably understand this because I'm old and don't understand this. And it created images, not stock images, pulling off the internet from iStock or some of these services that you would get visuals that I'm used to searching, just existing visuals. It created on the fly visuals. And that was, I've heard about artificial intelligence and I've been reading about it, but to actually see it, I got the same feeling um, that what I just saw is something that will forever change my life if I let it, (laughs) if I learned to understand it. But it was fascinating. And I realized there's incredible upsides and perhaps some downsides, neither that I fully understand, but you know, when you joke about technology and the record button, it just made me think of, and I think in some ways that'll help us take the, there'll be applications of that that are scary, but there'll be applications of that that help us take content and the good news of the gospel and other ways. I don't know if you got any thoughts on that. It's just kind of off the cuff or um, I don't know if you I mean, here, here, if God's at the helm of everything, there will be a tremendous use for it. And I don't think we've even scratched the surface of what AI can be as far as the furthering of the gospel and improving of lives. And I think that there will equally be just garbage that comes from it. And I'm not sure that we know what that is, whether that's the, you know, um, destruction of human thought or the ability to be able to craft sentences or, you know, whatever the thing may be. Right. I think that, um, I think that it's tremendously powerful and, and just like the internet, just like so many other things, there will be a way to use it properly. And I hope we do. It's interesting. Well, listeners go find Richie Stedman. Um, he's consistent with his social media um, at Richie, R-I-C-H-I-E-T, Stedman, S-T-E-A-D-M-A-N. Um, check out his content. If you were looking to start a podcast or just need somebody for hire as a consultant in this kind of broad space, I think Richie would be um, a great person to reach out to. So Richie Stedman and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>